Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Imprint Podcast. Today, we are here with Heather Marvin. Hey, Heather, how are you doing? Hey, Shanae, how, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm not too bad. And thank you for giving me some time and the rest of the world to get to know who you are. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And with this pandemic, I've been gifted with some time. So. <laughs> not by choice, of course. <laughs> so, okay, so let's kick off this great conversation we're about to have. So tell us who you are and where your journey started. Okay, um, I was born in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan called Pontiac. Um, I'm adopted, actually, and I was very lucky. I was adopted by a wonderful family of not particularly creative people, <laughs> which is really, which is really funny. Like I'm the the baby Huey of their family. I'm not sure if you're familiar with cartoons, but I am. I am. Um, yeah, like I, you know, I not only do I look a little different, but um, my interests are totally different. So there's that nature versus nurture element there. Um, but I was also because I was gifted with a wonderful family. Um, they really encouraged me, like in my creativity, which is fantastic. Um, so uh, actually a funny story from when I was little is I used to torment my parents with my drawings because my mom, like we'd go to a toy store, I'd see something I wanted. And I know there's probably a lot of designers that have been through this because I've, I've heard similar stories and my mom would be like, no, you can't have that. So for about a week, I would draw the same object and present it to her so like and I knew as a parent she had to be like oh it's a beautiful drawing but eventually like you know and later on in life I got used to making people angry with my drawings right. so it was some some early training um so I, I grew up like that but they were very uh wonderful really supportive uh so they I was also gifted with a wonderful education I got to go to the Rhode Island School of Design Nice. Um, where I discovered actually industrial design, which is amazing because the fact I didn't know about it, but I'm going to blame that on my non-creative family so much, uh, which is not totally fair. Yeah. Um, but I grew up right near Cranbrook Academy, which is a place where some very famous industrial designers did, did their work, the Eames um, worked on, and the Saarinens. Yeah. So um, I went to RISD. And uh, after freshman foundation, the second semester, we had, we would go to these um, like presentations for different majors. And I'm like, oh, I'll check out fashion, but I've always been more into the mechanical and the objects and airplanes. And um, actually I went through a small like weapons phase. I know it's, it's not a particularly fashionable thing to be into, but I, I drew like weapons and, and planes in high school. So I'm like, you know, I'll go to, you know, a few different of these presentations. I ended up um, going to the industrial design presentation. And within like a minute of sitting through this presentation, I started getting like this like feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is what I need to do. Um, and, you know, and, and I think it's important, like we, we talked about this in a pre-interview, like knowing who you are and trying to discover who you are. And maybe even part of your entire life's journey is discovering who you are. And so at that minute um, of my life, I pretty much figured out like what I wanted to do. I wanted to make product. And the thing about it too, is it's, it's connection with the manufacturing. Right. So specifically making products that you manufacture in factories and being able to affect 
um, how things are made, which can affect like the, the health and happiness of human beings on this planet. So that's how I got into industrial design. Um, and then, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it in terms of how I got the interest and how I started. And then I started, you know, self-learning and learning about all the designers and all the history because um, the next year when I started industrial design for my major, um, the, I actually, one of my classmates was the grandson of one of the original Bauhaus designers. So wow. like I was, I was way out of my league in terms of people um, that, you know, I was learning amongst. So I'd like to say I learned a lot more from like the, you know, the other people like during my years at RISD essentially um, in their different ways of approaching problems and finding solutions. Okay. So that's how I got into it. So that's pretty much up until the college years. Well, that's still a very, it's a, it's a phenomenal story for sure, because now we're going to learn how you actually, you know, started your design journey in footwear. Oh, yes. Yes. Yep. So, so just want me to go into it straight in? Go into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so, you know, it's interesting, like RISD at the time, like only kind of focused on, there was a lot of furniture. Uh, there was a lot of product. They actually, for one of the first um, years ever during the time I was there, they had like a car studio, which was pretty cool. Um, but I had ended up uh, palling around a little bit with some furniture people. So coming out of school, um, I ended up, I sent out like a ton of resumes, like just blindly, like no connections. And then I had one, um, I had like two, two takers essentially, two people that contacted me. Uh, one of them was Steelcase, which is in, it's an office furniture company, which is in Western Michigan, um, yeah. near Grand Rapids, um, like four, four hours from where I grew up. And then the other one was Reebok, and it was actually for a model shop position, okay. which I'm like, all right, you know, because I wasn't particularly like you know confident at the time and like I'm very comfortable saying that now because I, I feel like I'm super confident now so it's, <laughs> it's okay um but I ended up taking and like going and, and visiting Reebok knowing essentially that I really wanted that job um as opposed to Steelcase even though Steelcase uh was furniture I sort of wanted to get out of Michigan um and move to the east coast because a lot was happening there um and Reebok, like a footwear is really interesting because it's also a mix of hard goods and soft goods. So you get, you know, a taste of everything. And that's part of why industrial design is cool because you can, it's essentially like everything um, except for, and even industrial designers do apparel, but it's everything except for essentially buildings and clothing, you know, like people are starting to focus now. So that's essentially how I ended up at Reebok, but I was a model maker. So I learned, I, the fantastic part of that was I learned to make shoes. Reebok was small enough. They were all in this little, I wouldn't call it a teensy building, but it was a small building in Stoughton, Massachusetts. And um, I, there was one other model maker. His name happens to be Bill Marvin, who I ended up marrying. <laughs> it's, just, it's just really kind of funny. He's a fantastic guy. Um, and we, you know, we're model makers together. And interestingly, uh, I believe one of the most um, prolific pieces of footwear I've ever designed, I designed while I was a model maker. 
while I was while I was there during that time. Really? So, yeah, this this is actually a really funny story. So both um, Bill and I in the model shop, and if if any of our older footwear design friends are listening, they're probably smiling right now, especially the Reebok ones, because they remember um, probably how competitive he and I were. So we had essentially two design contests where both of us were trying to get into design right. um, and we had to impress them. Um, and there's a, there's a designer, his name's Wayne Russell. There's, there's a younger Wayne Russell, I believe still at Reebok. I think okay. he's still at Reebok, um, but older Wayne Russell um, who's still very young at heart, I'm sure, um, gave us a sandal project. So I designed, um, I can't believe I actually have this. Um, this is the shower sandal that I designed that was in the model shop. So everybody yeah. who is not watching this, you need to go and watch it <laughs> so you can see the sandal design. Basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, so I'll you know I'll I'll send you the PDFs of all this stuff too if you want, and you can throw it up there. But um, and I only found out that this thing sold it was more than eight million pair um, when I came back to Reebok a second time. Um, oh, so I ended up it was it was not the most pleasant uh, departure. I ended up leaving <laughs> the company because <laughs> <laughs> essentially they said they would never hire me as a designer. I'm like, all right, I I gotta. Yeah, so which is funny because then they they proceeded to hire me twice after that. But that's those are two other stories. Um, but you know, I found out the the first time I came back as a designer that the sandal had actually sold like more than eight million pair. And um, so that that's pretty much a it's crazy because I think to this day it might be the most. And I you know I've focused a lot on volume which I'll, you know, I'll talk a little bit later with like Puma and stuff like that, but it was probably the most prolific shoe I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, shower sandal. still have it. <laughs> shower sandal. Shower and it was, shower. <laughs> you know what this, so think about making 8 million pairs of something though, like the, the level of efficiency, um, and you know, and how long it takes, like these people were making this for a very long time as well. So, you know, I have to respect that and all the people that, that has affected, but those, these things make tons of money for companies. So just so you guys know, like these like inexpensive shower sandals, which actually aren't that expensive. You <laughs> think about it, ejection molding is very inexpensive. Yeah. Make good, good, good money for these companies. That's how they keep the lights on. Because some of these more expensive shoes that you see out in the stores don't really have great margins to them. And they're really just a build excitement for the brand. So you heard it there, people. Excitement. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I actually, not to be nerdy about this stuff, but I get super excited about manufacturing. <laughs> And about volume, because that that's where you make like you can make the impact really on everybody, the people in China or the people in Vietnam or you know, wherever they're making these things, or the people in Brazil. Yes. I think we're we're a big family. So But see, a lot of people kind of forget that part of the production line and they're just like, oh, it's that person and it's that shoe. Not the yeah. Rest, which is oh my gosh. Well, you know, especially in those branded days, there were some some developers, you know, that were as much a part of making this footwear um, as the designers, like the designers conceptualized with the developers, 
um, they they really go through like the nitty gritty. Like at this stage in my life, like you know, I've I've done a lot of my own developing now for the last you know fifteen years, twenty years. So that's still not my entire career. <laughs> old. Um, but without these guys and and ladies like a lot of these things wouldn't have happened and there's you know and especially like i have super deep respect for the people over in the factories themselves because those people are seriously unsung heroes yeah when it comes to you know making making it makeable essentially yeah okay That'd be a good name for a book well, absolutely <laughs> right making it makeable making it makeable yeah making it makeable <laughs> Making it that, by the way, so no one else can have that. Um, <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> all of it stamped. <laughs> yeah. So after your time at Reebok, you moved to Puma, and then after Puma, yep. you moved to Kangaroo. Kangaroo, sorry. Mm. Yeah. What your time was like at both brands? Oh my gosh. Okay, so Puma. Puma was really interesting because that was the first time I went to a place where you weren't like a whole family with the other designers. Like I, I literally, there are people I've absolutely loved at like all the companies that I've been to, but it was really interesting. I think the designers had a little bit more of a competitive feel in a way. So um, it wasn't a, as warm and fuzzy an experience. Um, and, you know, it might've been the corporate culture too. Um, but I learned, I think like, I actually had very close relationships with my developers there. Okay. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, one of my developers, Jim Hebert, who is an amazing guy, um, I'm gonna send him the link to this so he has to listen to it because I said his name. Still to this day, <laughs> he, he comments like, so I'll post like some of this new 3D stuff that I'm doing and he'll be like, he'll comment like, you can't make that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're literally just saying this because you miss me. I know this. I know this. But so I had very close relationships with the developers there, um, which which actually helped a lot because there were two major things um, that I got to work on there. Um, one of them, which was probably far more impactful um, from an economic and um, just everyday person perspective, was I did a, a a series of cross trainers. And this was one of the first times I ever like, so I did, I did one bottom construction. And then over the course of the five years that I was at Puma, I ended up doing additional, um, they were cross training uppers. And I actually do not have, I don't have the actual shoe. I have photos. So I'm going to literally make sure like I read, maybe I'll post some of these on, on my Instagram, but I found the original um, drawing from cross training, which is really funny. Um, even has the whiteout still on it. No one uses whiteout anymore. <laughs> no one uses whiteout, but this is, and it was big. So this is like a piece of that, um, that marker paper. Yeah. And it still has the, but you can see how it's pieced, but this thing was like, it went through four or five, four or five versions, just getting it perfect for the price to nail this price. So this, this particular program, again, was, it was like 7 million plus pair. And it was actually huge. It, I don't believe it ever sold in the US or if it did, it was very small numbers, but it was like giant in Germany and France yeah. um, with, with the dads. <laughs> the dad, the German and French dads love this show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that would be, that's where I learned about a lot about like piecing and construction for price. Um, and then the second thing I did that was like, actually, 
it was exciting from like, I think you guys will find this exciting, was I got to design a marquee shoe for a boxer named Oscar De La Hoya. Right. And this was this guy. Oh, and in addition to the, he's also super cute. Like, he's, he's got like this <laughs> like baby face. Like he's just a very handsome man. Um, so I got to design a boxing shoe from scratch. And, you know, another thing that, you know, has always inspired me has been function for my design. So really starting from scratch and building the shoe up um, from nothing was, was amazing. Um, so I did a series of boxing boots. I did a tall boxing boot. I did um, low boxing boots. We did a series of shoes um, off of the sh off of the boot. They were like martial arts inspired shoes that people could buy like through the Puma catalog. Um, terrifying thing was I got to bring him his samples, the first ever wearable sampler, samples to his training site in Big Bear, California. You met him and gave him. Yeah. Yeah. And normally, so at that time, like companies didn't, I mean, maybe because I'm not like, you know, I've never really been groomed for a lot of the social things with companies, but like, I think there might have been a fluke that I actually got sent to do this. Like, it was, it was really, really funny, though. And I was super young. I was still in my 20s. And I remember I flew from Taiwan. I was hand carrying. So I flew from Taiwan to San Francisco. And then that next morning, I was going to take like a five o'clock flight to LA. And then I was going to drive up to Big Bear, which is in the mountains right outside of LA and, you know, ring his doorbell and bring him these shoes. And so and, and meanwhile, I'm sure there's like a crowd of people at Puma, like totally watching me during this whole time because they're like laughing, laughing their butts off as I'm like terrified. So I get to the airport in San Francisco that that next morning. So like the night, the morning after my flight from Taiwan. And it's like completely fogged out and they're like, sorry, you can't get out. And literally, I just have this like tunnel vision of getting to Oscar de la Hoya with his boots. Um, so I ended up having, it was like, I had to wait like two hours for the next flight. And then I couldn't fly into LA and I had to fly into a different airport. And then I paid a taxi driver and actually, I think it was like an extra hundred bucks to drive like 40 miles over the speed limit. So he completely broke the law because I begged him to, and he was super, I even told him the whole story. I'm like, I'm trying to bring Oscar Dilo his boots. And I had to show him the boots and stuff. <laughs> like, so this guy got me to the rental car place and then I drove up and then I drive up to this compound and there's like a crowd of people. Um, and I'm like, I have to drive through this crowd of people to ring his doorbell. So I guess, I mean, he was very, I've never really spent much time with very famous people. Yeah. Um, but I guess these people hung outside his house all the time, like when they knew that he was there training. So my, they had to part from my, my car and then I had to ring the doorbell and be like, hi, I'm from Puma, like I have Oscar's boots. And then they're like, well, he's training. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm, so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, let me in. But it was amazing because someone pressed the button and I drove in and then it was, it was literally, it's one of the most vivid moments of my life though. I went in there um, totally shaking, like having a heart attack, but what completely amazed and distracted me is like, and I knew to be really quiet, but I came in and he's in the ring fighting with, he had two other fighters that he trains with. Um, and these, these guys are like literally no joke. Like I would, I don't know, I don't know a lot about boxing in terms of names, but like the people that he was working out with were so amazing. So 
he's like fight I'm like mouth like hanging open watching because it's just so cool like the whole thing his trainer came over and introduced himself and he was really nice and he was checking the shoes out and then while I'm talking to him what I didn't notice was Oscar had noticed and had because probably he just watches his trainer right or is paying paying attention because he's a focused professional athlete um so he come he comes over and he's like hanging over like the ropes and he's like watching us talk <laughs> and I'm like oh, like and I look up and I see him he's like bring those over and I'm like okay and and I came over I gave him his shoes and it was pretty awesome but I think in the post I mentioned I was terrified he was I mean, obviously I can't say, I couldn't have said this at the time that he was gonna, if he lost that that fight, like that first fight in the Pumas, I was in really big tr trouble because boxers are very, very superstitious, but it worked out okay. It did work out. And see, you're here it to- It worked out. You live to tell the tale. So. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't disappear me, so. <laughs> there you go. But the, the cool thing that happened from the boxing boot um, was that it became a collab, um, which I, I literally didn't find this out until I ended up, you know, going to Europe later um, with Yasuhira Mihara. Um, and it became a really, it was all over Europe, actually. It hit like the West and East Coast of the US, but like, the, you know, they were done on the sprint last so they changed the last and they made it sort of like this low pro shoe and like you know crazy patent colors and, and things like that so that became like a separate thing but and i wasn't the designer of those colors but i did the original shoe that inspired it so you heard it first you heard it first. It's a legacy right there <laughs> yes and that's oh and that's when i learned illustrator as well because through um, up until like 98, I was all just hand drawing things. And I know there's still designers out there that hand draw stuff. And I do, I, you'll never replace sketching. Um, but yeah, I learned Illustrator and it helped a lot like with my control drawings, if, if anything, just, you know. So it's finding all those tools that are important. Um, so going, going from that, which is funny, leads me on to uh, kangaroos. Yeah. So I left Puma. Um, because during, during Puma, I had some good experience also during product line management. I managed a few of their categories globally, which was um, in addition to designing at the same time. Okay. Um, and it, it, I learned a lot about like being a product line manager, about, again, even more so costing and building a line based on cost and merchandising. Um, so when I left there, I went to a smaller company that had licenses and you know, had partnerships with other larger license holding companies. So the company um, that I went to was called Atsco, but they, had a, they were working with Pentland okay. who had kangaroos. So Atsco had licensed kangaroos in the US. And we sort of like worked together a little bit with the UK design team as well. Like so, um, and a lot of them also worked in, in Illustrator. So fortunately by that point, I was like up and running in Illustrator because it's like amazing for colorways too. Like if you have to marker color every single shoe you do, you're in big trouble. Um, so um, I got to know those, those ladies and what was even funnier was like about a season into it, they're like, oh, well, we have this shoe that we've been doing in kangaroos in the UK and can you do some colorways um, for us? And I was like, okay. And they sent it and it was actually, it was kind of like a, a copy of the Oscar de la Hoya boxing shoe. 
uh-huh. like a mix between it. So it was like they had been into, the, it was the collab. But yeah. interestingly, in order to make it not as much a knockoff, it went way closer to the original boxing shoe than it was to the collab. So I fortunately had the line art that I could do the, the you know, some minor modifications, but it was essentially, you know, so working on a knockoff of my own shoe yeah. um, to do colorways was an interesting experience. But by that point, you know, it'd been over 10 years of working in footwear and you start to desensitize a little bit. You get a little less protective. But did you feel a bit cheated at the time, though? Because obviously it came from one brand and kind of followed through to another. Well, so the only so I never which is real. This is even worse. I never told the UK designer. So if any of you guys are listening, um, I'm sorry, I never told you this, but I told, so I I was standing there in our meeting in the US and the the bosses are all around and I'm like, this this is a, I did this, this is a copy of my own, I'm doing colorways and a copy of my own shoe. And they just, they looked at me kind of blankly, like, so the the design, the designer goes and does the colors go. (laughs) So no one was impressed. That is terrible. I, I know. That's, but that's okay though. Like all these things, I have all these little funny sort of stories like and randomly going through my day that they'll, they'll pop up and I just smile or chuckle to myself. And remember when, so, yes. <laughs> and remember there's so many, there's so many, so many stories, you know, and I, you know, we joked a little bit early about a book, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I got some good ones. I got some juicy, juicy stuff. You should, trust me. Yeah. I, I definitely yeah. do it. <laughs> so okay I yeah. want I want you to tell the audience more about the consulting work that you've done through your company Prime Creative LLC which you founded yes. back in 2011 yes yes so um I, I did some more uh rounds at the brand so I ended, I ended up at, at Rockport for a little bit Um, which was pretty fun doing men's shoes and because I actually this is a a strange thing about me that I'm going to admit in front of all these people is I love doing men's dress shoes because I think they're sexy (laughs) okay slight foot fetish everyone but it's okay (laughs) okay so there's that there's that there's a lot of emotion and feeling cited through my work um but by that point like I you know after Rockport I was a little I would say disenfranchised as a designer from working in branded companies because everyone will have to admit this. There's a certain portion of your energy that has to go into functioning. And even if you're not a political person, like just smoothing through the game, you know what I mean? And and getting with the right people. And and I'm one of those people where I, I like to focus more of my effort really on the design. Like I literally just love designing stuff all the time. Um, and so I'd rather be doing that. And I found that consulting um, freed me up to really focus on the design part. And, you know, it, it wasn't for, you know, they're all brand names. Like I, um, I have like Eddie Bauer and Bass and things like that. Nothing super, super fancy. Um, but I really could like focus more on like, what does this customer want? What are we trying to achieve? How can I like delight them? So I love that word and uh, make make them tons of money. So like a lot of uh, Prime Creatives customers I ended up doing 
um, not directly for Costco, but through customers for Costco, um, shoes for Costco, shoes for Sam's and BJ's. They still have products um, in those stores right now. I'm not going to say what they are. I'd rather have people just randomly guess and I won't admit it. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I think that it's definitely freed me up um, to focus on, on design. And it, it's interesting because I, I do a lot of design stuff on my own that has nothing to do uh, with my customer's work. So it, it gives me the energy to do that as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I know just from that alone, when I can get to travel, I'm going straight to Costco's now and do a oh, supermarket sweep to find your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. This is your shoe? <laughs> You're just going yeah. to all of them, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's funny because there's like it's more than one brand too. <laughs> like and I and I also and and one of the other things that I want to say about designing, especially if you go from brand to brand, because some designers are really like, I have a style and this is my style, and you're gonna buy my style. But I feel like if you're a designer for a company, you're kind of you're almost like an actor and you're putting yourself in their in their position and you're trying to create something that looks like their product. Yeah. And you're you add yourself to it in terms of making the best version of that that it can be for them so i would like to say that if you know i have two or three shoes in costco right now you wouldn't be able to tell the same person did those three shoes so that's that's like the other thing i want to throw out there i think it's really important that if you work for a brand you have to stay true like and in that lane for that brand you want to again make it exciting but yeah Okay, I'm still gonna do this challenge when I get. <laughs> okay, you know I'm gonna film it just just for kicks. Put it on the gram just for kicks. Uh, all right, cool. <laughs> still not gonna admit to it. I know. I'm just gonna take gonna... every single one. Is this one? This one? This one? It's fine. <laughs> so now let's get down to your new footwear business. Ah, Ultra Leisure, which you yes. managed to start during a global pandemic. Now, how did you manage to do that? Okay, so actually, to be fair, Ultra Leisure um, started a little bit before the pandemic. Okay. Okay, yeah. so, but we became, I would say, more, more focused on getting out there um, and getting our name out there. And we were able, because we've, we've put a lot of effort into our, like, patents and into trademarking and stuff, we were, we were a little quiet in the beginning because we weren't sure how well we were protected because... Um, let me give you an idea of what this is. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, all of you footwear people and product people who travel have stayed in some amazing hotels, I'm sure, in the Far East and all over the world. And which is the benefit of being doing what we do sometimes, but like hotel slippers are, are pretty, they're like really fun. And, you know, one of the things that I do is I collect them. I think that probably makes me a really naughty person. I don't steal the shampoo, but I will take the slippers. <laughs> well, actually, okay, so, but not anymore because um, what ended up happening is, um, you know, my husband and I, we, he, he, so he's still a designer too, just so you guys know. And he, Bill Marvin, Advanced Concepts, Reebok for 25 years. Um, but he's, you know, moved off into other things and we still love footwear. And we were sitting there talking one day and we're like, you know, we should really make something like unique and try to sell it. And I'm like, you know what? 
I, I love the idea of making a shoe, um, but I don't want to make a shoe like how everyone else has made a shoe. Um, I don't want to, you know, make whole sets of molds, cement and do all the, you know, the same manufacturing methods that we've been doing in the past, because that's, that's like a saturated thing. Like, and so what we did was we took a hotel slipper, um, which are kind of notoriously tricky to walk in. Um, and the goal was to make it so intensely comfortable, but also very, very easy to, to wear for, you know, and walk around and to travel through airports. So um, we had actually builded the design, um, to be honest, I did the development for it. And it's like a running shoe, like very clean, like um, center seam uh, built on a hotel slipper construction. And there are special things we did to the pattern so that it actually fits and stays on really good. Um, and it was really funny. We got the first sample back and the first sample was actually in terry cloth, like towel material, which is also cool. And we might do another skew of that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was amazing. But we put, you know, he, we just size nine, which is funny because neither one of us, like as shoe designers were like, oh, we didn't even know we could ask for like our size. <laughs> so like, I'm, a, I'm like a men's seven and he's like a 10 and a half. So we had this size nine and both of us were able to put it on and be like, whoa, this is the most insanely comfortable thing I've ever put on my foot. But what made it extra comfortable was the whole concept of not molding the bottom. Because once you mold the bottom, um, like hopefully your foot's gonna be that shaped, but if it's not, then that's where you end up with like, you know, fit issues and like the last and things like that. So not only does this style or this, Flipper that we made not involve a mold, but it also doesn't involve using a last to make. Um, so I will show it to you. And here is here it is in our, our packaging. Our packaging um, is actually meant to be very funny. Yeah. So I don't know if you read the packaging, but we you know we did this whole thing about all the things you shouldn't do in them. Yeah. Like use you know the table saw is a terrible idea. Don't, uh, don't work on your roof, even though over the last couple of years, Bill has worked on our roof in ultra leisures, which I'm like, I should take a picture of this. It's, for him, it's tough to do. <laughs> right. I say it's a, it's a little late for a Darwin Award because we already have had children, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'll still take pictures. Um, so it's really cool. Like they come, they come flat, like out of the box. So, you know, here's the, the shape of it, which is a little bit more form fitting. And then as you put as you put it on your foot, it really just like fits snugly on your foot. And I actually like how they look like this. All my shoe friends are like, you should send them in in like with shoe forms inside. And I'm like, but that's against like the whole simplicity of the whole concept. Um, and so there's about like 10 millimeters of foam on the inside. The bottom not only flexes, you know, like this, but it also flexes like like this, and that adds to the comfort oh, of how the foot actually, sorry, my computer did something crazy. That adds to the uh, comfort of the slipper. It just like hugs your foot. So those are ultra leisure. So we, um, we went actually not to a traditional footwear factory. We went to a slipper factory Okay. and worked with those guys because we didn't want to, once we got into larger manufacturing, we didn't want to get um, back into the habit of making things the way we were making them before. So the 
second part of the story was I, um, I actually brought my 11 year old daughter to China with me. Okay. And this was in, this was in July of 2018. Um, and I brought her and met with the supplier and worked with the first sample. So that was, this is one of the first things that I didn't actually do other than the packaging. I didn't actually do the design for the shoe itself. I developed the shoe. So in footwear, sometimes as a designer, you have like different roles. You're not always, you know, the designer, but um, this, I love this thing. It is, it is so good. So we patented it. Um, there's multiple patents protecting it, which is pretty cool. And uh, we hope to sell lots of them. But the, the second part of that is making something so simple that we can affect the manufacturing. So my ultimate goal um, is to do production all over the world um, within like the locations where they're going to be sold. And with such a simple product uh, to ultimately automate as much of the process as possible and to make the product hopefully biodegradable, not just recyclable, but literally something that like you could maybe throw out in your compost heat, <laughs> you know, and eventually it'd fall apart. Yeah. But that's a tricky thing because you don't, you know, if you make something and it, it does that too well, you don't want it, you know, completely disintegrating on your foot. So you want to get at least like a good wear out of it. You want to be able to wash it. So we have, you know, there's a lot of room to grow there. Well, I must say, um, I am wearing mine now and my feet are so comfortable right now. So. Awesome. Love it. Love it. And they're very toasty. So right, yeah, right now we have the velour, which yeah. um, is it's velour on the inside and out. The thing it is amazing. Um, and then we also have a, an air mesh, a sandwich mesh version that's coming, um, which is, as, as I was telling you before, it's like as airy and breezy as the velour is cozy and velvety. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting to get excited about something like that. And we're very not traditional. Um, we're building from the ground up. So I, I have another friend that helps me a little bit with the Instagram and running that, but we ship them out of our house. So I am the fulfillment specialist. <laughs> I have a room full of shoes, full of slippers in the basement and a shipping <laughs> shipping station. And, oh and every day I, I drive to UPS and uh, we do that. It's fun. It's, it's absolutely fun actually building it like this because then I can sort of, you know, and I've always promised myself if this ever becomes big, I, I feel like I, I know how I want like my big company to turn out. And I, I want to, you know, treat people well. And this is really about like improving a world. So I definitely yeah. look forward to this journey. <laughs> Thanks. It's crazy, crazy. Hey. But it, it's fun though. Yeah. You get if you don't ask, you don't, you don't, you know, if you don't try, like it's not, there's really no chance. It's like exactly. can't complain about not not winning the lottery if I don't buy a ticket. So Buying my ticket. Yeah. Well, not not literally. I don't usually. Do <laughs> you know but what you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, with some of the concept designs you have created in the past, do you think mm -hmm. now would be the time to see them come to life? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I feel like there's a there's a bunch of directions in footwear right now which are really awesome. 
Yeah. Um, I love like the deconstructivist stuff. I love the things where it just looks like tubes are are glued onto things. Like, um, like I I love fashion, but what I really love is like the fundamental building blocks of things. Um, so some of the items that I've been remod, so I've been modeling using Gravity Sketch. Um, I was resistant to 3D modeling for a long time because um, other people in my life have been working in 3D with SolidWorks and Rhino, and those are very time consuming. And I wanted, I've always wanted something that was more intuitive. Um, and being site challenged, I, I found that Gravity Sketch with the Oculus, like the, the VR headset thing, which is like amazing, um, has like really just gotten rid of all of the vision problems, like squinting at my screen and, and things like that. And in addition, like it's super fun. So I took some of those concepts from like when I was in the model shop, there was a second design contest where I did running some running shoes and some running concepts. And I was like obsessed with the pump, um, like pretty much everyone else at that company at the time. Um, so I've been rebuilding those in gravity sketch and that has been intensely therapeutic because as someone who's had almost 30 years now uh designing shoes like i have a lot more insight into how things are made um and the other fun thing about these drawings is they're still somewhat unrealistic so i get to be like i know how to make this and i don't care and i'm still <laughs> I'm still gonna do it i'm gonna draw it like this because i can yeah, you know, so it's funny. It's like, and I also find it um, kind of really awesome that the 1990s are in fashion again right now. Because yeah. I'm like, you know, there there are a whole bunch of us there, but we pretty much invented that. So I'm like, wait a minute, that's cool. I'm like, hold my beer, let me try. Like, so it's I'm definitely having a good time doing these drawings and especially Blender, the rendering program. Okay crazy crazy fun so in the time that I don't even think I could you know hand render this quickly I can get photo realist like things that look like photographs of actual shoes yeah. or even videos of you know so I am having a blast with all these new tools I will say that okay yeah well, and it's make one <laughs> I'll try make one like physical make one I'll try. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm building up um, some relations with relationships with some U.S. suppliers. Okay. Um, but I hope, I hope to actually do stuff, uh, make things in the U.S. a little bit more, or you know, wherever things are going to be sold. I think we should all have localized a little bit. Okay. Or move into that. It doesn't all have to become that, but I think we need to, to approach these problems from all different directions things to look out for folks yes so, yes heather it's been an amazing pleasure to speak with you today but before we go oh, can you tell us one fun fact about yourself or five whichever which, how many you want to share at this point <laughs> oh my gosh okay so um I was, I was gonna say that I can make killer bread, but that's only since the pandemic that I learned. I think everyone, 50% of us have learned how to cook bread, make bread good. Bread, banana bread, um, some other bread, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I will, I will, this is really, this is really funny. I think I'm gonna plug, um, plug weightlifting. I love weightlifting and it has been something that um, from, from a woman's perspective, like and you know struggling like with to, to love my body and stuff like that 
uh, lifting weights. I don't know what it is about it, but it completely gives your body a different purpose um, than you know what you I had been told in the past. And it is one of the most um, enjoyable and liberating things I've ever done. So I, I love lifting weights and um, I've done a Highland Games too, where you have to wear like one of those kilts and you chuck rocks. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was super fun and dangerous. I, I bet. So, yeah. So weightlifting with a little danger, maybe Olympic lifting, those okay. things, all those things are really fun. And I think they really um, gave me a more healthy um, outlook and, you know, feeling towards my body. And I'd like to encourage women out there to not be afraid if they want, if they would like to try that stuff. Well, there you had it first, weightlifting lady. Yeah get to it. <laughs> Heather, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I can't oh wait. Oh my gosh, Sernay. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I'll speak to you real soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye.